Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, by the way. There's that thing going on in our culture today. And for those of you guys who don't like the sport, happy Super Bowl commercial day. Um, it's funny, I feel like every year, like, they're getting better and better with these ads that I'm actually, like, clicking through to them now. It's like they'll be, like, you know, pop up on my screen, and I'm supposed to not like these things, but I'm like, I want to see what Gillette's offering, you know, and all that sort of thing. So I hope, hope you guys have a, a fun time with that. Uh, I'm David, pastor here at Current. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn to James uh, chapter 2. We've been working our way through the book of James in our series we've, we've titled uh, Faith in Action. And so uh, we'll be reading there uh, in, in a minute. Um, but these words really struck me when I came across them. It's an old saying. Uh, it says this, Live so that when your children think of fairness, caring, and integrity, they think of you. Uh, I think it's a powerful thought because uh, to one varying degree or another, uh, many of us have experienced the exact opposite of that. Um, you know, we've, we've experienced favoritism, partiality, or prejudice against us, times when people have, have looked at you and concluded that somehow you're inferior or somehow uh, 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 you're of lesser value because of where you're from or what you look like or what you can or cannot do or how much you have or don't have. And we've all experienced this, whether it's in the families, uh, in families or whether it's uh, in the workplace uh, or even as in society as a whole. And we know that when it happens, when it takes place, it can be deeply painful and deeply uh, ruining. Um, you know, it's a topic that it seems to me, even in a generation that we're, we're, we're grappling with more and more, is coming a little bit more to the limelight. By and large, as a society as a whole, in general, it's not one we're thinking about a whole lot. Even as we just we need to, and there's just so much room to grow and, and move forward uh, in, in this area, this problem of partiality is a major issue, and the Bible says we've got to take it very seriously. Actually, James here, is, that's a big point of what he's saying. Is this, is, this is up there. This is, this is very significant. We need to think about it. But here's what James is doing, and he's been doing this over and over again with all these different matters that he's been bringing up. He's saying as big of an issue as this is that we need to consider it to be, it's not just an issue that's out there. You know, it's not just an issue that our society is wrestling with and we need to make uh, gains and, and do this and that in that space, which we need to. That much is clear. What he's saying, first and foremost, is it's an issue in here. It's an issue within each and every one of our hearts. It's something we each and all of us need to grapple with. Uh, churches, we as a church need to grapple with this uh, the, at the personal level, in our own community, and then God willing, uh, through us, uh, hopefully what James is showing us here can help us make steps to move forward in a very helpful, very uh, 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 strideful way and making, um, way, Im- making an impact when it comes to the problem of partiality as, as it is in our culture and in our lives. James starts this whole section by saying, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to go and read it because nor- normally I don't read the scriptures. I'm like playing a, a catch-up here uh, because we did communion. I'll, let's go ahead and read it now, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So James chapter 2, and we'll, we'll go through it. So here's how he starts this whole thing. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man come, comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor. 
Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for these words, these very powerful words. Uh, Would you give us your spirit as we seek to understand them? Would you give me your spirit as I seek to teach them? Lord, we just ask that uh, the the, the way that you see this matter of partiality would begin to seep into our own hearts, and from the inside out, we'd be the people you call us to be as your followers. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so James here is talking about the problem of partiality, but he's also, he's, he's teaching it, uh, he's teaching us, he's showing us how we can begin to make strides in this. He's showing us the problem so that we can begin to understand it and deal with it in a healthy gospel uh, way. First thought I want to point out is, as we look at, actually I want to jump down to verses 8 through 11 that we just read, is that God detests favoritism. What he's saying here, it seems to me in these verses, among other things, is the problem of partiality is a big deal. You need to give it some time. You need to think about it. God detests it. He says if you, he has a number of thoughts here that he just kind of breaks this down for us. He just kind of conveys this in this little paragraph, verses 8 through 11. He says if you really keep the royal law of the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you will be doing right. He calls it the royal law, this this, uh, love your neighbor as yourself a commandment. And when he says royal, he's not just talking about some loftiness and character, but he's talking about it as, a, as the supreme law for which all laws governing human relationships are subordinate. James is, is, is attributing our problem of partiality, as he sees it, with the very commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. If you're, not, if you're showing partiality, if you're showing favoritism, if you're showing prejudice, you are falling out of line with the very royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus really picked up on this. He affirmed himself, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Like, if you want to really break down the Hebrew scriptures and what what really kind of can summarize it, he said, really two, summarize it. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, then everything in the law will essentially be complete if you just follow those things. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what James here is saying, when we show favoritism, when we're showing partiality to to those uh, either not like us or whatever the case may be, we're falling out of sync with what this is all about. Um, And uh, we need to not set this aside as an insignificant, no big deal manner. Then he goes on here in verse 9. If you want to look at it, I won't read it again because we just read it. He calls the problem of partiality essentially sin. He says, when we are doing this, we are law-breaking. It's an offense towards God. Uh, that's James's way of saying, when we show partiality towards others, we are basically falling out of alignment with what God has designed us for, this law of freedom uh, that, we, that he made us to be, he calls us to be because of uh, his love and who he is. You know, J- Jesus was quoting uh, the great commandment. James here is quoting the great commandment, which is itself in the, the Hebrew scriptures. But let's ask the question, why is it even there? 
Why is it even the great, why is it a great commandment that helps us basically summarize everything? The answer to that is because it's linked to who we are and who God is to us. If you go back to the very first account in Genesis, the creation account, uh, listen to how uh, it is worded there. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. There was never any pecking order. There was never, ever any favoritism shown. We were always, always, always made in the image of God, imago Dei. And if you think about it in terms of like our society and what we're wrestling with, for instance, even in the gender realm, it doesn't say, and he made them in the image of God, males with a little bit more sense of entitlement or whatever it might be that we're struggling through right now as a culture. He says, no, we, he, he made us male and female. He created them in his own image. There's never any pecking. We need to see that our whole being, our all, our, who we are made is in the full dignity and likeness of God himself. And that's true across every uh, perspective uh, of the human race, regardless of class, race, tongue, tribe, you name it. James is saying when we show favoritism, we're violating this good law that God created us to be, which let me just pause right there, okay? Just even as we're just letting this start to sink in, can we start to see now, church, family, how powerful these words are? Like how, first of all, amazing it would be if we just move slightly in the direction of what James is talking about here, just like ever so slightly, let alone taking significant big steps, and the other thing it does to me is it quickly shows how far we fall short. Um, these are powerful words that James is showing us uh, that we need to take very seriously. And then finally, to really make this point, uh, bring this point home that God really detests it, he makes one more thought here. He likens this idea of the, the problem of partiality to committing adultery and committing murder. Uh, if you look down at verses 10 and 11, again, I won't read, read them. He's essentially saying, guys, in the same way that you know committing adultery is not what God wants, is in the same way that you know murder is not what God wants, don't show favoritism. That's essentially what he's saying. He's like, this is, this is an issue up there with things that you guys know, James is saying to the early church 2,000 years ago, to not be what God wants. Now, let me say a couple quick caveats on this thought. You know, when it comes to modern day, 2,000 years later, uh, if James were writing this, one, I think when he's talking about committing murder, I think we'd all probably hear it the same way the early writers said it. Up there with committing, adult, uh, committing murder, don't do the problem of partiality. We'd hear that the way James is in, in wanting us to hear that, and that is, oh, big deal. We shouldn't do that. On the other hand, this one where he says committing adultery, I think some of that might, not, it might miss us a little bit in our uh, culture today. For instance, we live in a culture right now that monetizes, even glorifies committing adultery not across the board, but there's some websites that I won't mention, uh, you probably are aware of them, that are literally trying to set up uh, adultery and so on and so forth. Uh, that's not to say we glorify it across the culture, but to say that that exists, that's a different time is my point than what, what James was writing to, who he was writing to back then. When, when James talks about committing adultery, when he talks about sexual immorality, as we've been seeing, he's talking about sex outside of marriage. He's saying to a, a group of people who would have understood very uh, intimately, uh, at least in that culture, that, okay, I understand these are things outside of God's uh, design for me. And to, uh, be that as it may, what his point is, is, guys, you need to take this seriously. This problem of partiality is a big deal, and you can't just think it's not a serious matter. Low-hanging fruit, I think what James is saying is we need to take this seriously. 
Um, and then James moves on, or at least let me back, uh, take some steps backwards in the text to show us how this bears in our lives. He shows us, he teaches us and what this can look like, even, by the way, church family in our own communities. Look at verses 1 through 4, and I will reread these uh, for, so they're uh, fresh in our heads. My brothers and sisters, believers in our, in, the, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat, but to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Uh, James is saying here, it's really interesting, actually. Uh, uh, if, if It's a little hard to understand exactly what he's saying here, at least the full force of it in the English. Uh, when the, if you, the, the Greek scholars uh, will, will point out to you if, you, if you look into it, is that actually the force of the grammar of what he's saying is not just suppose or this is, what's, you know, this is a hypothetical, but the fact that it's actually already happening. Okay, you following me? What he's saying here in these words, I mean, he does say suppose, so he's giving kind of an example, but what he's saying is actually the force of it is forbidding, forbidding a process that's already, uh, something that's already in process. Are you guys following? Okay, I just blubbed all that up from my mouth, okay? Uh, so he's saying, don't do what you're doing. Um, you following? Okay, it's not just, hey, don't watch out in case this happens. It's actually already happening in the group, in the church community that James is talking about. And you see a real force of that even in the English in verse 6 when he essentially uses language that's calling them out. Did you notice this? But you have insulted the poor. Here's what I think we take out of this, okay? Here's what's hitting me this week. When it comes to the problem of partiality, I think James is showing us we tend to have blind spots. We tend to miss the fact that it is an issue within us. It's really easy to dismiss it, dismiss it and say, oh, it's those people over there. But James is saying the gospel demands that we look first in our own hearts. And what we'll tend to see there is that this problem of favoritism, uh, discrimination, and, uh, and, and, and so on uh, is in us. He gives this example of suppose a man comes in essentially as a dignitary, kind of a royal person of influence into their meeting space, much like what we're gathering today is, is kind of what James is speaking into in terms of the atmosphere. He said if somebody came in and they were a dignitary, like they wore nice clothes, they showed that they were a person of influence, and you show favoritism to them when another person comes in who might be a little smelly, who might be essentially a beggar is what James is saying, you are uh, violating everything that God's been been talking about. Uh, and that's happening, he's saying to this church, which means James' original uh, readers would have probably had one of two responses. One, they, pro- they could have been like, as they read these words for the first time, oh, shoot, we've been doing this. Or defensive and denying altogether, which hopefully it wouldn't have been that. Uh, we have blind spots. Uh, I remember when I was in college, a time in which this thought uh, really hit home to me that I have deep-seated uh, prejudice that I would never have otherwise realized in myself. Um, I was, uh, so I was going to Cal, and I had helped a buddy uh, kind of co-found a ministry. So we were helping college students get connected to uh, ministry groups and uh, get connected to community, do all those sorts of things. So I was spending a lot of time with college students, new students that ever showed up. We'd connect with them. We'd get them uh, we get them connected. We do all that sort of thing, right? So, and being four very short blocks away from the Cal campus, that meant like the church was basically all college students. I mean, literally 80, 90 percent college students. So it was just, you know, it was a fun time. We were just uh, having fun with that that ministry. The other thing about that church is it was actually also 
uh, basically one block away from what's called what's known as People's Park there in Berkeley. And if you know People's Park, I don't want to get into all of it. It's so funny in terms of like the legal things there. Uh, basically, the the uh, it amounts to prime like real estate in the middle of of uh, the influential part of Berkeley, uh, being just totally um, a homeless encampment. I mean, uh, which otherwise could be used for like uh, academic facilities or you know, businesses or whatever, for all these various of reasons, it is essentially where about 100 homeless people in a given time of year are, are, are taking encampment in about a one-block-by-one-block one radius. So it's a very concentrated place. That was right across the street from our church. And by the way, I helped do homeless ministry. We'd be out there, and we'd, we'd love on our neighbors, and we'd do what we can. But I'll never forget the time where I was doing this college ministry, we were attending this church, and it was like before church started, you know, kind of like out here in our foyer where people will come in, and I was just kind of out there greeting folks, and at the exact same time, a college student came in, who I never had met before, and a a guy who was homeless came in at the same exact time, and here's what I did. Hey, welcome. And I I hope I'm getting the force of what I just did across to you. I I kind of get a little emotional remembering it. But that cut me to the heart because I remember in that moment seeing the guy's face. Who I wasn't really intentionally doing it, but I just kind of unintentionally do it. And I could rationalize it in many ways. Oh, this is my job. This is what I need to do. I remember seeing on his face, not just an expression of, oh, that that little punk guy giving, you know. It was an expression of, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's to be expected. And I remembered in that moment, like the Lord using that as an experience for me to be like, boy, it, it, I am just as, I have this issue of deep-seated prejudice inside of myself. And I need, I need to be very weary of it. I need to be paying attention to it. Uh, I need to be uh, understanding that this is something inside of me uh, that I need to regularly go to God and ask, first of all, for his forgiveness from, because it's just functioning and operating in ways that I'm probably not entirely aware of all the time, and then ask for his help uh, even as I need it when I, when I go forward. That was a very meaningful, impactful moment for me in terms of, of ministry and how I see it even today. But here's the tricky thing about blind spots. We're blind to them. We don't recognize that they're there. I mean, right? These people that James is talking to didn't really know and yet, James was just kind of calling them out. Like, guys, you need to be paying attention. Blind spots are, by very nature, some things that we are, we are not going to catch. Uh, we're not going to recognize. So here's what I believe, church family, that James is encouraging us to do. To go ahead and start with the assumption that we're probably, and by probably, I mean definitely, prejudice. And showing favoritism in ways that either we can identify if we really give it some thought, or even if we gave it, gave it a lot of thought, we probably still miss. You tracking with me? I think what James is saying is we need to wrestle with this and go ahead and just start with God. This is my brokenness. I contribute. It's, it, yeah, I see the issue out there, and I can find ways out there where, boy, I, I just see it wrong, and we need to make steps. But James is saying, no, no, well, yes, but no, no, start here. Uh, think about it. Church family, if we are saved by the gospel, if the good news of Jesus is true, then it should begin to root out these things from us from the inside out. Uh, We need to take it seriously. We need to recognize that we have blind spots. Um, That was 2,000 years ago, okay? He said the suppose the, you know, the dignitary comes in, so suppose the the beggar comes in. You know, what does this look like today? Like, what are some of the favorite, you know, ways that we can show partiality today? I was just thinking about this, and I'm sure uh, you come up with a lot of ideas that would be helpful to think through, talk through. Maybe we can do that in our small groups this week. 
But I was thinking about it. I think, I think certainly the economic class distinction and the prejudice that could be around that, which we've been looking in James' time, still exists today. I, am, I mean, you know, for instance, do you uh, avoid eye contact with folks who, you know, might be the beggar type, might not smell the greatest and all those sorts of things? Uh, do, uh, do you try to avoid uh, them, if, if, if people who aren't like you? I think that social economic prejudice still is, is, is alive today. Let's take another example. I mean, we think about the tech space that we live in here in the Silicon Valley. What's one of the first questions we ask people in this area? Uh, you know, like, so how'd you make your way into Silicon Valley? What do you do? You know, it's this question that I'm not saying we're doing this when we ask this question, but it's an easy, easily it can become a size you up type question. Please hear me. I'm not saying that it's an evil question. I'm just, my, I'm just trying to elicit some, uh, an illustration. We've all been to workplaces or, in, or have been in networking cir- circles or networking events that sometimes people give priority to the folks who will probably help our little thing along, right? Maybe people who will help with funding. Maybe people who will help us get connected to those people over there. We give, we give preference. Um, do we talk to people because they're people who are created equally and loved by God, or are we always looking for them to help us take the next step? I think that's where partiality is very much alive here in the Silicon Valley. Uh, this happens in many circles. By the way, this happens in church circles. Everybody's like, gasp. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course it does. Of course it does. It happens in pastoral circles. It happens in church planning circles. Uh, we've all experienced where, you know, someone's talking to you, and it's as if they're, like, looking through you, talking through you. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, okay, I just, I realize this conversation is no longer the conversation I want to be having. I want to get over there. If I can get over there. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's partiality. It, if we felt that, we know what it's like. If we've done that, we've contributed to it. We're just as part of the problem. Uh, I think about, as, as another example, the diversity in this very immediate area, like right here in where, where the Lord has us here at the Senior Center, a place that is gentrifying like mad. Uh, every once in a while, we'll do events like uh, out there uh, flyering or, or, you know, um, door hanging for, for uh, an event that we're doing, which I always love, not just for the sake of advertisement. If anything, I love more for the sake of as a people, as a church family, being out in the community. It's such a learning experience. If you've been with us on one of these times where we're walking the community, you know that you can go a half a block, go from million-dollar houses to uh, government-subsidized houses, go to, like, multi-million-dollar houses, and, and all the same, rinse and repeat. Um, and it's a very, and you pass people who are literally living in trailers and, and, and so on and so forth. You, that's the area God has us in. Now, obviously, we're going to naturally be able to reach certain demographics better than others. Churches take on certain demographics, and that's not to say it's all bad. That's, that's where I celebrate that God's church is not just lowercase c, local church, but it's a capital C, bigger church, and, and he uses different ways to reach different people. But if someone came in and doesn't quite uh, look or feel like you or myself does, um, are we in a place where we're wanting to talk to them, where we're wanting to help them feel uh, welcomed and loved and cared for. Uh, for instance, to put a little, little uh, flesh on this, they don't speak English as their first language. You know, we have a number of people in this area, specifically Mandarin and, and, and Spanish-speaking. Uh, when they come, they don't necessarily... And if this is you, by the way, we love that you're here. Um, when, they, when, when someone who maybe English isn't their first language comes among us, and obviously English is predominant here, it's going to take more effort to make a connection. 
It's going to take a lot of effort, and it might be a lot of like the, you know, universal hand signals and smiles, and you might not be able to connect with somebody who does speak the language, but you, there's effort there, right? Are we going to make that effort? Are we going to make that, and it's going to start at the heart level that we want to, um, I think that's what James is saying we need to be thinking about. And here's the other thing I just want to say about this before moving on to the next thought. I don't think what James is then saying is, okay, if you're going to show preference to these people, don't do that. Show preference to these people. He's not like saying replace one favoritism with the other. Maybe I'm speaking to my own personality there. Uh, He's saying, no, show favor to everyone. Show favor, equal favor, as the gospel uh, uh, demands that we do, um, calls us to, to everyone. Uh, And let's go ahead and just assume that each of us have blind spots, whether it's based on our background, our own wiring, our own life experiences, uh, and just humbly be willing to hear when it comes up how to, with God's help, first of all, receive uh, forgiveness, but, but repent, which means change direction and move in the way that he calls us to move. So we need to take the problem of partiality seriously. We tend to have blind spots, and then let's look at verses 5 through 7. Uh, the way I kind of think of what James is saying here is, He's showing us that we tend to get things upside down. Like our value system kind of can get flipped. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, verse 5, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in the faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? By the way, that's literally... I always read that kind of metaphorically, but 2,000 years ago, rich people would literally drag people or get people to drag the poor. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. Are, you, are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? In brief, what James is saying is in light of eternity, the social pecking order of the world is short-sighted and superficial. And he's saying to the church, he's giving us warning to not have that same kind of shallow evaluation. The theme that he's already actually established, even if you look back in verse 1, is when you really want to get down to it, actually the spiritual advantage in some, in some ways belongs to the poor. Aren't they the ones who are rich in faith? And yet so often we flip that and say, oh, you know, the dignitary, the influencers here, let's give them preference. James is like, we're not even getting it right when it really comes down to it. Um, you know, it's often the poor who display what it looks like to be rich in faith. I, I can think of no better example than this classic example of, of believers, of Christians living in some of the harshest, most impoverished part of the world. If you've ever had the opportunity to visit different parts of the world where just we're talking really, really poor. Um, we're talking, when you, when you think about comparisons to where we live today, uh, literally and uh, figuratively, we're worlds apart in comparison. It's astounding to me that it's in those places I've found the people filled with most joy. If you've experienced, I see some of you nodding as I say that. You've, you've, you know this. People on the planet who have the most joy being in the most impoverished parts of the world, and I found them to be believers there who are just rich in faith. Now, does that mean they don't have issues and they're not working through it and times aren't hard and all that? No. Because the people around them actually, by and large, don't have the joy that they have. But some of the richest people, I'm talking biggest smiles I have seen, are folks, believers, Christians, in some of the worst, most destitute places of the world. And that's what James is saying when he talks about being rich in faith. Uh, I got to share a story. I was just, I was just 
that is crazy to me. A couple, uh, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity of meeting a man who's from a part of the world that is not only cr- like crazy, impoverished, but we're also talking very war-torn. I don't want to mention where he's from because he actually told, told us not to. Um, but if I were to name the city, let alone the, the region where he's from, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's, that's war-torn. Uh, anyways, he was telling us his story. He, he arrived to the U.S. Uh, recently, so his English was, was what it is, thick accent, that sort of thing. Um, but he was telling us about his story and how, a f- like, a, a number of months ago, he got a dream about Jesus. He got a dream about Jesus. Didn't really know anything about Jesus. Is in a country that's not known for being Christian, I'll put it that way. And he's just like, I don't know what to do. So he, he couldn't shake this dream. Like, this dream was like, I need to learn more about this guy, Jesus. And so he's he's trying to figure out what to do. Well, it just so happened there was a Westerner in his area, probably providing medical support there. I I didn't get all that detail. But he went to the Westerner. He said, do you have a Bible or anything? The guy came back and said, I'd love to give you a Bible. I gave the guy a Bible. Uh, He joined something that's called like a Skype church. He's just like, how do I get the answers to like my questions about Jesus? So he's like online, like attending church through Skype. Like literally, it's pretty pretty cool. after, like, I don't know, a few weeks of this, he's like, I got to tell people about Jesus. So he started out telling his fellow countrymen, family, friends, people on the street about Jesus, and they were all saying, stop doing this. You don't want to do this. Our country is not known for being Christian. You do this, you're going to end up in trouble. And he kept doing it anyway. Sure enough, he ended up being thrown into prison, beaten, tortured, his words, uh, he got out, and they said, don't tell anyone else more about Jesus. I feel like this is out of the book of Acts. He said, in very broken English, he said, I can't not tell people about Jesus. Went out, started telling more people about Jesus. And that, after he got in prison the first time he came out, 40 people put their faith in Jesus in his home, uh, home country. He was captured again, thrown back into jail, beaten tortured. At one point, actually, at this point in his story, somebody, again, his English, you know, had a very thick accent. Somebody said, are you, did you just say knife? Like, were you, he said, yeah, knife, knife. I was just sitting there like, whoa, what this guy is describing is, is insane. And yet he's sitting, so I, the end of the story is he, well, I mean, to get us to present day, he, he, he basically, out of that, was released somehow, miraculously, and he, um, he got medical attention at an, um, oh, an embassy, a foreign embassy, and that's how he ended up in the U.S., and was granted asylum and all that sort of stuff. And now what is he doing? He is spending time in a city that's actually in the Bay Area that is known for having an, a, a large concentration of, of his countrymen uh, living all in one spot. He's starting a church. He's telling people about Jesus. He's separated from his family. Yeah, he doesn't really know a whole lot of what's going on there. He's been through just the worst of the worst that I can imagine. And yet this dude's telling us that he's just so excited. He's so filled with joy. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, when I came in, did I even recognize that this guy was in the room? Did I even, like, it was just, it was just a gathering. I'm like, did I just do the classic, like, oh, hey, there are my friends over there. I'm going to go talk to them. And then after the story, I'm like, i got to go talk to them. But it's like, man, that hit me. But enough about me. I'm sitting here like, if you want to talk about who's rich in the faith, I'd like to think that this guy's rich in the faith. But think about this for a second. We're talking about a dude who's not considered, like, not highly esteemed at all in either where he is now in the U.S., and we can talk about all that means, the implications of being here in his position in in our own country, and then in his own country back home. He's, like, not just, like, not highly esteemed. He's, like, despised there. And yet this guy is, like, I can't help but tell people about Jesus. I want, uh, we talk, James is talking about, you know, in light of eternity, the people that we tend to be partial towards, 
it's going to be different. <laughs> I think that's what James is saying. He's saying, he, I, I think about that guy, I think about somebody when you talk about inheriting and, and just being, you know, towards the front of that line, whatever that, that, that might mean. Um, we're talking about those folks. So we're, try, we're imparting honor, we're imparting partiality, and James is saying, you're doing that, you're not even getting it right. Don't do it, don't do it. James is saying, don't show favoritism. Um, rather, verse 8, he's saying, do what is right. I love that. He says, do what is right. Um, be who we are meant to be, that the grace of God calls us to be, which is right. Uh, we have somebody on, on one of our serving teams. I don't, I don't think he's here today, and I won't mention his name. To, I don't want to put him on the spot. But um, uh, who, when it comes to all of what we're talking about here, uh, he's a person that I really admire and respect in all of this. He's a guy who served in the San Francisco uh, PD for a number of years. Uh, when they were looking for people to serve on the Tenderloin beat, he raised his hand and volunteered to serve there for a few years. Those of you who've lived in the city, you know the Tenderloin is as inner city as far as like stuff that can go down, that goes down. When I did uh, ministry in People's Park, we'd see some stuff there, drugs and all that sort of stuff. I remember with the team, we were in the Tenderloin, and we'd see stuff that I'd never even thought of. Like, I remember one dude, I was, like, going to shake his hand, and he literally had to move, you know, exposed needles into another hand so I could shake his hand. I was like, I probably shouldn't be shaking hands. Um, that, that's the Tenderloin, okay? I'm just making the point. This guy volunteered for that, takes so much emotional energy, physical energy, you just, you need relational energy to every day walk those streets, which literally he'd do. He'd walk those streets. This is that guy, okay? And he, he still has such a heart today where he's just, any chance he can to love those who are who uh, are, are in greater need. He's loving them. I had the chance to talk with him at one point and just be honored by like his perspective. I, I love this. He was telling me about how he explains what he does with his girls, because he's, he's always doing this, uh, living and caring for those who um, his girls at least would say, Daddy, why are, you, why are you helping that man? Why'd you, why'd you help that homeless man? And he sees the opportunity to share with them, like kind of impart his thoughts. He said, he said, I'm always really clear with my girls. I said, I said, girls, I don't do this because it makes me feel good. Like, we don't do this because it makes us feel good. We do this because it's right. And I love that because I feel like that's what James is talking about here. When you connect it to who God has made us to be, all of this we're supposed to do because it's just the right thing to do. It's who we're created to be. It's the law of freedom that God has given us to be the people that we're supposed to be. And partiality just gets in the mix of all of that. Um, why are we to do it? It's because of God, uh, who God has made us to be. Even more importantly, it's because who God is. Uh, last few verses, and then we'll close. Uh, verses 12 and 13 say, uh, literally in the original language, so therefore, so speak and so act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I can't read those uh, verses and help but think about Jesus. Uh, th these verses, I feel like, are just all about what he has done for us. You know the, what the gospel is? The gospel is literally Jesus had every right to be, to, to size us up, to be prejudiced towards us, to be actually impartial, and when he sized us up, look at our record and say, you know what, I'm going to reject you guys. That's what the gospel, that's what, what's what he could have done, but the gospel is he, he chose not to do that. How? By coming and living among us. As the dignitary with the fine clothes and the gold ring? No, the guy with the shabby clothes. If you look at all the pages about Jesus, he's essentially walking around homeless. Uh, that's what Jesus came to do. But you know what? Just before he went to the cross, the governor, the Roman governor, Pilate, came out to the crowds and said, hey, 
What do you want to do with this Jesus? I found nothing wrong with him. He's essentially innocent. What do you guys want to do? And the crowd said, if you know the story, crucify him. The, the, the crowd, in other words, said, we size him up. We reject him. Jesus understands what it feels to be rejected, to have to be uh, discriminated against. He understands all of that. And actually, on the cross, he felt that in cosmic proportions. On the cross, not only did we essentially reject him, God the Father, for our sake and for out of love for us, rejected him because of what we've done for the sake of loving us and bringing us in. That is the gospel. God, who shows no favoritism, was impartial on the cross. And what he did impartially on the cross was say, okay, I'm going to pour out my judgment onto Jesus for what they've done. Why? So that he can bring mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you see how amazing and powerful this is? We don't follow the one who says, hey, just do this because it's right. We follow the one who's done this for us, even when if you were to be partial about it, it doesn't make any sense. It wasn't right. That's the one we follow. That's the, the person. That's the, the God that we can then step into and say, okay, help us in this, which is really what James is saying we got to do. Look, are we going to get this wrong? Yeah, we all have blind spots. We're all going to just, you know, be partial, show favoritism. But James is saying, so then do this. The gospel says, start with your own heart. Start with my own heart. Let's recognize it's far worse than we would tend to admit in this area. We contribute far more to the problem of partiality than we would otherwise uh, care to recognize in our lives. But start there because he also empowers us there. He empowers us from the inside out to begin to live the way he's called us to. When we look at our own hearts, but not just look at our own hearts, we look at the one who's done all this for us. I mean, I just think about the beautiful day you know, what could happen, even from a time like what we're doing now, and then in our small groups as we wrap our heads around this and think about this, just like moving the needle just slightly in the direction of showing less favoritism and how much power can come there. I just get so excited. Do we have a long way to go? Are we just failing miserably, especially when you think about it as a society? Yeah, absolutely. But what James is giving us here, don't you see, helps us begin to make what will actually could have lasting difference because it's from the inside out. God has empowered us to do this, not only through his word, but giving us his example. So let's follow his lead in all of this. Let's pray.